know that when the Bible was written, it was not written in verses. Uh, when Paul wrote a letter, he was just writing a whole letter, uh, just like uh, those of us, you know, before technology, born before technology. We used to write long letters, uh, love letters. Uh, some of us still have the letters. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the letter was not in para; it was not in uh, verses. Although I mean, sometimes with paragraphs, isn't it? Okay, so the Bible was written as a letter. So, you know, sometimes we have good intentions, but uh, our intentions are not very helpful. I mean, it's like if you have the Bible app, every morning you get a verse, isn't it? Okay, and then you, some of us, that's all what we do. You read that verse, and that's all for you for the whole day. And actually, you'll see in your most Bible apps, there's a place where they say, uh, read the whole, what, what does it say? There's an, an option that says, read the whole chapter or something to that effect. Okay. So I think it will be a good idea to read the whole chapter. Because, you know, there's a story uh, about somebody who was reading just verses, you know. He hanged himself. So that is one verse, isn't it? Yeah, and the following day, there's there another verse which says, go and do the same. <laughs> so what, what I'm saying is, uh, there's, a, there's a verse which I want to read here for Holy Communion, but I'm saying we, we need to get the context of the verses that we are reading. Okay, because when we just read verses, you'll be really misled. Let's make sure that we read the, the, the word of God, and if we read a verse, we understand the context of that verse, which is important. Okay, here in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 14, Paul addresses the questions of disputes in the church, where some people will say, you know, ah, this food is good, and other people say, no, no, that food is not good. And others say, you know, this day is it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a good day, it's a holy day, we must respect this day. And other people say, no, no, that day means actually nothing. So there, there were those kinds of disputes. And Paul was saying to the, the people in Corinth, I mean, to, 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 the, to the Romans, that don't use what you think is important to weaken the faith of your brother, or if you deal with a brother or a sister who has a weak faith, that you bring these things and you, you dispute about these things, because those things are not very helpful. And what Paul was saying at the end is, you know, it doesn't matter which food you eat. It doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't matter which day, whether you, you know, it's like, there's some people who want to make an issue that, uh, you know, we must meet on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a Saturday or, you know, the, you know, you know what, what I'm talking about? So he says those things are not, uh, are not an issue. So when he finishes uh, this particular uh, argument where he, he explains to these people, and if you continue in chapter 15, he continues the same thing to say, you know, if, a, if you have a strong faith, take care of those who have got weak faith. So don't say because, you know, to me, this doesn't matter, etc. And he says things like, for example, I mean, if uh, you eat particular food and you know there's a brother who has a problem with that, you can stay away from that food, okay, for the sake of your brother or your sister. Okay? Right. Now, when he finishes in chapter 14, this is the last verse, last verse in chapter 14, he says, but whoever has, has doubt is condemned if they eat. Because eating, because eating is not from faith. So if they have doubt, that eating is not from faith. And then now, he, there's a general principle that he, he talks about here. 
which applies to this whole thing about disputes and food and days and so on. But it's a general principle which I want to talk about. He says, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. You know the story of Abel and Cain? That God accepted the gift of the other and did not accept the, the gift of the other one because the other one gave with faith. And the other one didn't give in faith. So the same thing, the Bible says the children of Israel, the word of God did not benefit them because they did not mix it with faith. Now, this morning we're going to do the Lord's Supper. You know, Peter says uh, when he writes to um, the Christians, he says, you believe in Christ although you did not see him. So our, our, our world our life as Christians is a life of faith. So this morning, we come to eat the body of the Lord. We're going to drink his blood, and we do that in faith. So we believe this morning, as we eat these emblems, as we drink these emblems, that we are eating the, Lord, the, the, the body of the Lord, and we're also drinking his blood. And we do that in faith. Okay, I mean, and by the way, if you don't believe, that's what Paul says there. I mean, then it just becomes sin. Because everything that is done without faith is actually sin. That's the principle there. Okay, let's uh, open uh, the, the emblems uh, and take out um, the bread. Uh, this is the bread of the Lord. As we break it, we do that in remembrance of the Lord. Let's eat the body of the Lord in faith. Thank you, Lord, for your body broken for us. And we thank you that today our sins are forgiven because your body was broken for us. Let's drink the blood of the Lord in faith. And we do this as we remember the Lord that his blood was shed for us. And may God bless us. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for being God over our lives. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. Lord, we stand here before your presence this morning, and we say, indeed, you are God. Indeed, you are faithful. Indeed, you are the one who cares about us. Lord, we thank you this morning, and Lord, we just bow before your presence, O oh God. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we're about to listen to your word this morning, may we not be a hindrance to what you want to do, O oh God. Lord, we just open our hearts to you, O oh God, and we humble ourselves for what you want to do in our lives. Lord, you are the, start, you are the one who starts and the one who ends the work in us, O oh God. So today we just lay our lives, O oh Father God, we, we are just humbled by your presence this morning. We are just humbled that you are God and you are a king and you still care about us, O oh God. We're just humbled that we can come before your presence and say, you are our king and our savior. Lord, we honor you this morning. Take your place, oh God. Take your glory, oh God. Lord, you still got seated on the throne. And this morning, this throne is yours, oh God. Lord, we just humble ourselves before you. And oh God, this morning, I just want to pray, oh God. I know I'm just a pipe for whatever you want to do, oh God. 
Lord, I just want to pray that I may not be a hindrance to your work this morning. But you be glorified, oh God, as I humble myself before your presence this morning. Because you're a good God, an all-powerful God, who knows even the deepest things that we don't know about ourselves. Do your work, oh God, because we have faith in you. In Jesus' mighty name, we glorify you. Amen. Thank you, church. You can take a seat. Good morning, once again. Um, thank you very much to Pastor Elijah and the leadership of the church for giving me this opportunity to stand here and for God to do what he wants to do this morning. This morning, I just want to thank God for life. I want to thank him for the opportunity to serve him. I'm filled with joy. I'm nervous. Yes. <laughs> and when I told my hubby that I'm nervous, he's like, um, yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like every wife would probably think, no hugging yana, to say it's going to be okay. Yes, but I'm most of the, all the time actually nervous when I stand here, so... I just want to say, um, just be gentle with me. <laughs> so I was saying, I'm just filled with joy and I'm greatly humbled that I can just be a pipe for what God wants to do this morning. And I'm overwhelmed by him. And I pray that this morning I may not be a hindrance. And I really, really say it from the bottom of my heart. I don't want to be a hindrance to what God wants to do. And I also want to love on the Lord Jesus this morning for dying on the cross for our sins. There's no greater gift than that. Because here we are, we are alive. He died. He was resurrected. If he wasn't, we wouldn't be here. And it's a privilege to know God. So it's an awesome blessing that we have the Holy Spirit as well. That the Lord Jesus Christ left for us. So that whenever we need a helper, he is there. He can help us through this journey. Before I get carried away, because I can easily get carried away, I don't know if there are any worship lovers in this house. You know, when we start, at some point, even when the anchor stands up, you're thinking, and says amen, you're thinking, I'm only starting. Like... <laughs> So I don't want to get carried away. <laughs> anyway, today's topic is titled Rivers of Living Water. So just to put a disclaimer out there, today we have lots of scriptures to go through. I was happy that Demokwena was saying we should read in context, so I was like, mm, thank you, at least he has laid foundation for me. So please just bear with me. Try not to wander away if you can. And if at any point you are wandering away, just say amen to get back into it. So if you know, are you already wondering? <laughs> if you know anything about me, you'll know that I like painting a picture or giving a background. This helps, helps me paint the very same picture in my mind and mostly to understand what God is saying in the greater scheme of things. So I'm going to do the same in the mon this morning. Basics are always good anyway. So as we might all know, we are all born sinners 
because of Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. That disobedience led to a separation between us and God, meaning we could no longer commune freely with him like we used to do in the Garden of Eden. So the separation wasn't pleasing to God because he desires communion with us. And it wasn't good for us because we were created for communion with him. So a plan was made for us to be brought into right standing with God. The plan was the continuous sacrifice of animals as an atonement for our sins. This method of atonement fell short because it served as a reminder of sin every year. And the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. So God in his mercy sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross and to become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ died, and thank God he rose again. Most importantly, church, he is the ultimate sacrifice because we don't have to offer sacrifices for our redemption anymore. We just need to believe in him that he died for us and he has cleansed us of all sin, and then pursue a relationship with him. Now that the background has been laid, we are going to start today's message from the book of John, chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. It reads, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We need to understand the significance and the timing of what the Lord Jesus was saying. It was during the, fe the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, whichever one you prefer. This is a feast where the Israelites commemorate their journey with God through the wilderness. So they light up flame, big flame torches as a symbolism of the pillar of fire that led them through the night. And priests carry water from the pool of Siloam as a remembrance of the provision of water from the rock. I just want us to picture this festival in our minds. Probably it was all lit up and the priests were going up and down, chanting in celebration with jars full of water in their hands. Then the Lord Jesus Christ stands up and cries out, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Awkward, isn't it? <laughs> it actually reminded me of those nobody memes. Do you know them? It says nobody dot dot dot, as you can see. Absolutely nobody. The Lord Jesus. Anyone who thirsts. Yeah, that's brave. I can see that we have old people in the church. Amen. <laughs> if you don't know the meme, don't worry. It's not in the Bible, so you didn't miss out on anything important. But going back to the message, when the Lord Jesus Christ stood up and cried out, anyone who thirsts, 
let him come to me and drink. He was sending an invitation to, the, to those of us who are thirsty. Those of us who are yearning for something we can't explain. Those of us who feel empty inside. Who feel like something is missing. That we don't belong. Those of us who struggle with speaking life. Those of us who feel like nothing makes sense. He was calling out to us. Us who thirst. He calls out to us and says, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What does that mean? What does it mean to go to him and drink? It means we go to him and engross ourselves in a relationship with him, in his word and in knowing him. He is the only one who fills our emptiness, gives us a sense of belonging, and brings sense, sense to our lives. So, if we know we are thirsty, here is our invitation. Our invitation to drink. Carrying on, the Lord Jesus Christ says, He who believes. He who does what, church? Yes. He who believes, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It says rivers, family. Not even a river, but rivers. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, if we believe in him, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. The rivers flow out, family. Maybe having a full understanding of what a river is will help us. A river is defined as a ribbon-like body of water that flows downhill from the force of gravity. I like that. I like where it says, a body of water that flows downhill from the force of gravity. The one thing about gravity is that it will do what it's supposed to do. Our force of gravity, which causes our rivers of living water to flow out, is the Holy Spirit in us. He enables us to pour out hope, kindness, support, and life to those who need them. He does not dwell within us for our pride. He fills our hearts so from them there will be an outpour of living waters unto others. That's why it's important that at all times we are aware of what fills our hearts. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says it perfectly. It reads, A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the treasure of his heart brings, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. We must yearn to possess good treasure in our hearts, church. And in pursuit of that, we must remember Christ is central. That's why it's important to heed his call that us who thirst must come to him and drink. And us who believe in him will have rivers of living water flow out of our hearts. Like we said earlier, the Holy Spirit fills our hearts so we can pour out to others what he pours within us. Now we are going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Firstly, he is the one who empowers us for service. Let's read Acts chapter 1 verses 4 to 8. It reads, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I feel like I need to repeat verse 8. But you shall, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. When the Holy Spirit has come upon us, we receive power to be witnesses to Christ throughout the entire world. Starting wherever we are. We need to understand this clearly, family. The power we receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon us is not for us to selfishly hold and say we are anointed, but it's for us to be empowered to go out and share Christ. It's not a pride thing. It's a service thing where we can serve God and his people in a godly manner. I will say that again, family. Receiving the Holy Spirit is not for our pride. It is for our empowerment so we can serve God and his people in a godly manner. So church, we are empowered for service. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus in our homes, workplaces, churches, malls, Everywhere we go. Remember, rivers are just channels meant to pour out water. Similarly, we are meant to pour out unto others the rivers of living water which are within, within our hearts. And this the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. God gives us opportunities to do that all the time. So let's use those opportunities. The good thing about the Holy Spirit is that he not only empowers us, but he gives us the right words to say. So the second point under the work of the Holy Spirit is that he gives us utterance. Let's read Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. It reads, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
and they were dwelling, they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Whatever could this mean? We were not there, church, when this happened, but we can surely answer the question. It means the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in other languages. He gives us the ability to say what God wants us to say, church. We are just channels who avail ourselves for his service. That's it. And this is real, church. I'll just share an experience of one of our youth kids who shared the experience with us here in church a couple of years ago. So she had gone to Mozambique on a church mission trip. And she says, when she got there, she started getting nervous. What will she say? What is she supposed to do? She was really nervous about it. And in that moment, she just remembered that she is a pipe of what God wants to do. She says she calmed down and was able to do what she felt led to do. And for her, the whole trip became a life-changing experience. So the Holy Spirit really gives us utterance. We just need to trust in him. Moving along, the third work of the Holy Spirit is that he guides us into all truth and tells us of things to come. That we find in John chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, which reads, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. In this passage, the Lord Jesus tells us, tells us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And when he has come, he will lead us to all truth. This is all truth, family. Not some truth, but all truth of what he hears from the Lord Jesus Christ himself and of things to come. Glory be to God. Are we still together? I wish it was a question and answer because <laughs> then I would know. <laughs> anyway, moving along. The fourth work of the Holy Spirit 
is that he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's read John chapter 16, verses 7 to 11. It reads, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For, I do not go for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So here we learn that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world. None of us hold the responsibility of conviction. I think this is very important, family. It's important to understand it. Because when we share Christ with people, we tend to put ourselves under so much pressure as if we are responsible for the conviction or the outcome. We are not. We must remember we are just channels that pour out unto others the rivers of living water which flow out of our hearts. That's it. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's responsibility. He is the one who steers our hearts towards God. What he requires of us is that we avail ourselves to be led by him. Do we understand that? Great. There are many more works of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, but because of time, I will not go into them. So I'd encourage you to please, if you have Google, just Google them. I mean, homework is always good, right? <laughs> That's what I want for my kids, but they don't want it for themselves. <laughs> So before we move on to the last part of the message, I think it's important we recap on what we've learned so far. We said, us who thirst must go to the Lord Jesus Christ and drink. Also, we must believe in him so rivers of living water will flow out of our hearts, which the Apostle, Paul, which the Apostle John describes as receiving of the Holy Spirit. So once we receive the Holy Spirit, he will do his work in us. He will empower us to share Christ everywhere we go, starting with our immediate environment. He will also give us utterance, lead us to all truth, and convict the world. Are we on the same page? Okay, let's move along. So here's the thing, family. How we treat the Holy Spirit matters. Once we receive him, we need to treat him with care, respect, and absolute adoration. We need to treat him with care, respect, and adoration. He is God. He is God in us. So how do we do that? First of all, we must not grieve him. We must not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. From verse 17, it reads, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. 
Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's a mouthful, right? <laughs> Thank you. Are you lost? <laughs> Amen. But I like how verse 30 is written in the Amplified. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him, by whom you were sealed and marked, that is branded as God's own, for the day of redemption, that is the final deliverance from consequences of sin. We are told here to not grieve the Holy Spirit. That is to bring him sorrow, as the New King James Bible puts it. This portion of the Bible starts off by reminding us to throw off. Throw off. Like, don't, don't play with the old sinful nature. Throw it off. Throw off our old sinful nature. And rather... Put on our new nature, created to be like God. It continues to list all the things we must stop doing. And in the midst of it, we are told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? The Amplified puts it clearly and simply. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we do things that are not pleasing to him. When we live lives that are contrary to what he says. Contrary to God's likeness, when we do not yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but instead 
we choose our own way. And with that, we carry all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and all types of evil behavior. The Bible says we must rather be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven us. And church, this happens when we cherish the Holy Spirit and understand he isn't just someone we can ignore and whip out whenever we feel like it. He is God. And at no point must we disrespect him or dishonor him. May we never forget that, church. The second way we can treat the Holy Spirit with care, respect, and adoration is by treating his dwelling place, his temple, with respect. What do I mean by that? We need to care for our hearts. That is our innermost being, as other translations put it. Because that is where the Holy Spirit dwells. And how do we care for his dwelling? We care for his dwelling by firstly fleeing from sexual immorality. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. It reads, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up in his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I like the King James because it adds glorify God in your spirit, not only in your body. So here's the thing that amazes me about this portion of scripture. It's clear that the crux of it is that we flee from sexual immorality, right? But what blows my mind is verse 20. It says, glorify God in your body, not with your body. It's just phenomenal, church. And here's why I say it's amazing. You see, when we glorify God with our bodies, we use restraint. 
We physically restra restrain ourselves from sexual immorality. Like we sometimes hear people say, run away if you have to. There's nothing wrong with that. It's wisdom. But here's the thing. When we physically restrain ourselves from sexual immorality, chances are at some point we'll get frustrated and eventually give in. Why is that? It's because we are fleeing in our own power. And that personal power will run out. And it makes fleeing burdensome, which it shouldn't be if done right. So what must we do? We must glorify God in our bodies by letting the Holy Spirit lead us. And when he does, he gives us correct desires. And our motives for fleeing from sexual immorality will not be rule-based. Instead, they will be based on the condition of our heart. Which means the physical boundaries we put in place will also be based on the correct motive, which is loving and obeying God. We also need to appreciate, church, that we were not created for self-gratification, but for the glory of God. And our behavior should also communicate that. It's not for us. It's for him. That needs to be clear to us. Are we together? Great. Another way of caring for his dwelling is by not defiling or tainting the temple of God. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. It reads, If anyone's work which he has built on, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. In this portion of scripture, unlike the previous one, Biblical scholars tell us that the Apostle Paul was referring to the temple as a collective of believers, not as an individual. Because context is always important, in the earlier parts of the chapter, the Apostle Paul was dealing with carnality that existed in the church of Corinth. Carnality, if you don't know, means being fleshly, that is, being controlled by our feelings, emotions, personal motives, and ambitions. In short, not being led by God, but by our own flesh. The Bible says this carnality caused envy, strife, and division with, within the church of Corinth. And it affected the, word of, the work of God in the church. The Bible continues to say the Apostle Paul warned the Corinth church that the day is coming when all work will be tested by fire. That's where we pick up verse 14. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, if our work endures the test of fire, we'll receive a reward. If not, then we'll suffer loss. But that loss has nothing to do with salvation. Why? 
Because the testing of our works is for us to be rewarded. But salvation is guaranteed when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Salvation is not secured through our works, but through what Christ has done for us on the cross. I'd like us to read verse 16 and 17 in the Passion Translation. It reads, Don't you realize that together you have become God's inner sanctuary? and that the Spirit of God makes his permanent home in you. Now, if someone desecrates God's inner sanctuary, God will desecrate him. For God's inner sanctuary is holy, and that is exactly who you are. I think that is clear, family. The Apostle Paul reminds us that collectively, we are God's inner sanctuary, or temple, as other translations put it. He also reminds us that the Spirit of God dwells in us as individuals and as collective. He continues to warn us that if any of us defiles God's inner sanctuary, we will be destroyed or desecrated by God himself. Church, we must remember that our desire as individuals and as a collective is to have rivers of living water pour out of our hearts unto others. It's to pour out unto others from an overflow of, that, of what the Holy Spirit fills within us. And this we can do if we heed the Apostle Paul's warning to not defile or taint the temple of God because the Spirit of God, of God dwells in it. Are we together, family? Moving to the last point, the final way of treating the dwelling of the Holy Spirit with care is by guarding our hearts. This we find in Proverbs chapter 4 from verse 23 to 27. It reads, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. To guard means to protect to watch over and keep safe. Here King Solomon instructs us to guard our hearts with all diligence. Other words we can use instead of diligence is thoroughly or meticulously. So basically, we are instructed to protect, keep safe, watch over our hearts thoroughly and meticulously, for out of it spring the issues of life. This is such an easy verse to misunderstand, so let me explain it. Guarding or protecting our heart doesn't mean our heart must be inaccessible or that we build walls around it. No, that's hardening our hearts. Guarding our heart means we watch and choose what we allow in, so our hearts remain open or accessible. Can I repeat that? Guarding our heart means we need to discern 
what we let into our hearts. This is very important because as we learned earlier, we pour out of the fullness of our hearts. Rivers of living water flow out of our hearts, out of our innermost being. So it's crucial that we only allow good and godly things to enter our hearts. With all that said, what's even more amazing is that when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he will help us repel things that are not supposed to be in our hearts. How we need the Holy Spirit, church. We need him every moment of every single day of all our lives. So in closing, family, let's recap on what we said today. We said, us who thirst, we must go to the Lord Jesus Christ and drink. We must also believe in him. So rivers of living water will flow out of us, out of our hearts. Which the Apostle Paul describes as the Holy Spirit. And once we receive the Holy Spirit, we will be empowered to share Christ everywhere we go, starting with our immediate environment. The Holy Spirit not only empowers us, but he gives us utterance, he leads us to all truth, and convicts, convicts the world as well. Lastly, we need to treat the Holy Spirit with care, respect, and absolute reverence. This we do by not grieving him, and by treating his dwelling, his dwelling place with care. We treat his dwelling place with care by fleeing from sexual immorality, not defiling his dwelling place, and by guarding our hearts. So as we come to the end of today's message, know the Holy Spirit is here. I don't know where the message finds you, does it find you thirsty, feeling hopeless, lost, alone, in pain? I don't know. Does it find you repentant, powerless, empty? I don't know. What I know is that the Holy Spirit is here. I know that we are not alone. The Lord Jesus Christ said he will not leave us alone, and he's not a man to lie. He will never leave us alone. He left us with a helper, and that helper is here today. It's time to do business with God, family. It's time to speak to God. So I'm going to ask you to please stand. Let's pray. I'd like us to all pray together. Whatever that God has deposited in you today, whatever he's showing you today, take it to him. He is here. He is available to us today. Let's be open to him. He's the one who takes care of our worries. He takes care of what we feel deep inside. He takes care of the little things that we think they don't matter. Things that nobody else knows. He knows. He is available for them. 
So today, family, let's all pray and just surrender our lives to God. Church, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed down, I would just like to ask if there's anyone who would like to receive the Lord Jesus this morning. If you are here amongst us, just lift your, lift your hand and put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? We just want to pray with you. Let's pray. Father God, here are your children. Your work has started in them. And you are the only one who will bring it to completion through your faithfulness, O oh Lord. Lord, we lay them in your hands this morning as you begin this journey with them, as you empower them to walk this journey of salvation with you, O oh Lord. As you help them fully understand what the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection mean, guide them in the way they should go through the power of the Holy Spirit, O oh Lord. Thank you for the conviction and truth you've brought in their lives, O oh Holy Spirit. We thank you for these in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much, church. Thank you. Thank you. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I'm just going to urge you or ask you politely to please come to the front after the service, at the end of the service. There'll be someone who will meet up with you. Thank you very much.